The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to Sport Scorebox even. We're live in Barcelona with Karen Cho and here in London myself, Steve Sedgwick and Arabida Gamedi. These are your headlines. Uh, JP Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon downplays expectations. The US economy may skirt a recession, arguing investors are too optimistic about the future. 70 or 80 percent chance we'll have a soft landing. I give it half that. Those things may play out over multiple years, but they will play out and they will have an effect. And we just don't know what they are. So I'm just, you know, in my mind, I'm kind of, kind of cautious about everything. Hype or here to stay? AI dominates Mobile World Congress as Microsoft expands investment in Europe with President Brad Smith telling me the technology is transformative. The market tends to get things right even if in the short term one never perhaps entirely knows. What I do think is this, AI is quite possibly the defining technology of this decade, maybe even of our generation. Japanese inflation slowing in January, hitting the central bank's 2% target and supporting the case for the BOJ to scrap negative interest rates in the coming months. Fast fashion retailer Shein reportedly explores listing in London over New York at some mountain regulatory concerns from the US Securities and Exchange Commission. And a show of solidarity, leaders gather in Paris promising support for Ukraine as French President Emmanuel Macron says all options must be kept on the table, including European boots on the ground. There is no consensus today to officially, openly and with endorsement send troops on the ground. But in terms of dynamics, nothing should be ruled out. Um, when you are the most senior banker on Wall Street, um, everybody really wants to know what you think about everything. And actually, if you listen to what Jamie Diamond is saying, the JP Morgan Chase CEO, he's actually saying things in a very nuanced way. But as part of his conversation with CNBC yesterday, he has warned that markets are a little bit too optimistic on the chances of a soft landing for the US economy. He spoke exclusively to this channel and said he's concerned about a number of economic factors. 70 or 80 percent chance we'll have a soft landing. I give it half that. We may very well have one, but I think there's, there was also a higher chance in the market things of rates being a little bit higher. The other thing I think it's always a mistake to do is look at just the year. All these factors we talk about, QT, fiscal spending, deficits, the geopolitics, those things may play out over multiple years. But they will play out and they will have an effect. And we just don't know what they are. So I'm just, you know, in my mind, I'm kind of, kind of cautious about everything. Diamond also addressed investor interest in AI, rejecting some of the comparisons to the dot-com bubble. This is not hype. This, this is real. So, you know, when we had uh, the internet bubble, the first time around, our eyeballs, you know, that was hype. This is not hype. It's real. And so people are deploying it, you know, at different speeds. Uh, but it will handle a tremendous amount of stuff. We're all going to get better, faster, smarter. Bad guys are going to use it, so we have to build the systems to counter the bad guys. You know, it's being used to combat cyber right now. It's being, obviously, it's being used everywhere. So it's not hype. 
It has been the big question on markets as to whether you keep on chasing the AI story or whether it's all hype and whether it's going to come crashing down at some point. I mean, the first starting area for me is the chip story with NVIDIA. We saw the cycle begin again on the back of NVIDIA earnings last week. But the reality is we're just in the use case area. So all the ordering we're seeing by some of the, the major tech players is really just to train up these AI models. The next step will be inferencing when we will be powering up some of the, the scale that will take place across AI. That may mean it's not quite an NVIDIA story, so there may be question marks around the future of NVIDIA. But as for the broader AI story, there's a lot of mileage here, and we've just seen this major deal, and we've got a lot of tape on this as well to play out from Microsoft. It is a, a partnership, a multi-year partnership with a company that nobody had even heard of last year because it only started up in France, Mistral AI. And just to, to give you a sense of how quickly these valuations are moving, how quickly these companies are coming to market, I mean, this was a company worth a, a few hundred million euros at uh, halfway through last year. You've had billions of investments by the French government as well in terms of across AI plays and to, to grow AI, but that still is nowhere near the trillions now that we're talking about in terms of US companies. So this little startup, it's now worth 2 billion euros. It's grown very aggressively in the space of a, a few months. You might be asking, is that hype or not? Now we have this partnership with Microsoft. So effectively, Mistral AI can use this supercomputing infrastructure. And that is what has been built here, supercomputing infrastructure. So everyone doesn't have to build out to the same scale, but you can tap into this infrastructure and have access to AI. I think very similar to cloud computing, it's that type of model. So for Mistral, it has access to the might of uh, the Microsoft backdrop and it can use those clients. For Microsoft, what does it mean? It can now sell a very different service, not SaaS anymore. It's models as a service. That is the terminology. So it's monetizing straight away. Steve? Yeah, Karen, look, I think hype is a, is a very pejorative word in many ways. There is no doubt about it that for some companies, it is not hype. It is stunningly meaningful. And you, you've graphically illustrated that with the case you were just talking about. And of course, we look at the picks and shovels people, such as NVIDIA as well. It is not hype. It is meaningful. It is stunningly a game changer. And for some of the big titans out there of technology, it is undoubtedly an extra catalyst for more revenues. But for many companies, it is complete and utter hype until they prove that actually it has a meaningful impact on both the top and bottom line. And, and I said this about three or four months ago, and I'm just going to repeat something that I said then. I said it's hype and not hype in the same way that dot com is, in the same way that having a mobile phone for all your staff is, in the same way that having cloud is, the same way having an email for everybody within your company. The fact of the matter is it is going to be a stunningly game-changing tool for every single company, for every single investor and viewer that watches this channel. But the fact of the matter is, it is complete and utter hype for 90% of companies to tout their AI credentials until it becomes part of profitability and improved revenue. So I think you have to be very, very forensic and very scientific about who is saying what in AI rather than just seeing .ai at the end of a company name and saying, wow, we need to stick a naught on the valuation. And I think a lot of people are getting a free ride on this one because some companies are making stunningly meaningful gains and profits out of this. A hell of a lot of others, and I would argue the majority at the moment, are going to have to have it, whether it proves beneficial for their revenue or not, because they've just got to go with the flow.
Well, Steve, that is illustrated right here at uh, big tech events like Mobile World Congress. Think about the other big tech, um, you know, series we've been talking about, Internet of Things. I can tell you there are so many wearable companies out there in the market. You see them at different size booths. You know, the big booths suggest they're slightly more successful than the small startup. But the reality is only some of this technology ever comes to market. Only some of it is picked up by the big players and you see scale. So it's like other sectors. Not everything will survive. Not everything will win. But at this point, I mean, We've been talking to companies during earnings season. There are hundreds of use cases around AI at this point. It's going to be very hard to pick who wins and who doesn't. I mean, some of this technology, we don't know where it goes from here. Um, out of those hundreds of use cases, some of it is actually going to be useful and scaled. Some of it will be quickly tossed aside. And these are companies that might be working with big brands already. So it may sound like it's a win. But down the track, you know, who knows whether these companies have any runway. But I think what we're seeing in the States in terms of big listed companies and back to NVIDIA, I've been trying to ascertain just where NVIDIA is at the cycle, whether the, the type of chips it has, very expensive, huge capabilities, whether that is a story that fades in 12 months. And the reality is nobody's making that bet here. Many still think that there's going to be huge appetite for those chips at least over the next 12 months, Steve. Karen, there's so many examples of brilliant technology which has stood the test of time, let alone the technology that fails, and a lot of technology does as we get to the real winners. Uh, and you mentioned wearables there as well. I mean, look at the history of the wearables market, companies like Fitbit as well, whose share price offering was a disaster in many ways. And actually, I, I love my wearable. I wear one now. I wear one every day. I use the data on it all the time. But a vast number of the companies that came to market wearables were absolute stummers when it came to their share price performance. So I think we have to be very, very careful on this channel, especially on this channel, uh, of splitting the, the thematic, which is amazing and is going to change the world, split the thematic from the investment case. Because the investment case for many of these companies, whether it's GoPro, whether it's Fitbit, whether it's a, a hundred other uh, technologies, which we love the technology, but the investment case has been a disaster for many. And I think that's really important for us to be very forensic well, I, about yeah. that. Steve, investment case when it comes to market, right? Perhaps the opportunity is private markets for, for some of these opportunities again, because you might be just pointing to a whole pipeline of AI companies in future, new tech plays that come to market, which was seen with previous tech cycles. So that will be fascinating. Of course, the pipeline has been somewhat impacted at this stage, but perhaps down the track, we see a proliferation of those AI companies. But uh, let's talk more about what Microsoft is up to. It has announced a, a new partnership with the French startup Mistral AI as it looks to broaden its influence in the artificial intelligence space. Microsoft says it's investing in the business, referred to as Europe's answer to open AI, to help it unlock new commercial opportunities and expand into international markets. Microsoft did not give any financial details of the transaction. I discussed the deal with Microsoft President Brad Smith here at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. Let's take a listen. I really think that this day is one of the most important days in terms of Microsoft's technology support for Europe. Because what we are fundamentally agreeing to is a long-term partnership with Mistral AI so that they can train and deploy their next generation models for AI on our AI data centers, our infrastructure, Effective immediately, they can take their model and we can help them reach customers through what we call our models as a service. They can 
run in our data centers and reach customers directly. And it also means that we're going to explore new research and development collaboration, in part focused on the fine-tuning of AI models for public sector needs in Europe. Smith was bullish on the prospects for AI as a whole and compared it to some of history's most important inventions. Over the long term, the market tends to get things right, even if in the short term one never perhaps entirely knows. What I do think is this. AI is quite possibly the defining technology of this decade, maybe even of our generation. It's a general purpose technology that in some ways I compare to the printing press in terms of the impact on the life of the mind, the ability of people to think, to create, to share what they know so other people can learn and get smarter, and it will impact everything. And so I think we're in the early days of, in effect, building a new sector of the economy, what we call an AI economy, and from that perspective, the truth is most people in the world are still learning about it. And there's a lot more to learn and a lot more to build before, I'll say, it gets old and tired. For more on the Microsoft Mistral AI deal and what it means for the European AI space, you can check out CNBC.com. Steve. Yeah, fabulous work out of Barcelona, Karen. Okay, Japanese core inflation came in at 2% in January, slowing for a third straight month, but still beating analyst forecasts. Now, the slowdown in prices was largely due to a decline in energy costs. Expectations are now rife. The Bank of Japan will end its negative rate policy sometime this spring. We've been waiting for a while, haven't we? In the meantime, the Nikkei, well, the reaction to the data out of Japan. Arabile, well, it couldn't be more underwhelming. It, it really couldn't, right? It's pretty much on that flat stance right there. And I mean, we, we've seen the Nikkei move up quite substantially uh, so far this year then. So not moving in step over there. Gave up a lot of the gains that we had seen even earlier in the session, actually, a midweek trading sentiment, which seems to have flowed through then as well from the United States. You are getting that weakness out of the Hang Seng. So the Hong Kong uh, market then is down around a quarter of a percent. But up went the Shanghai Composite thus far this morning. Of course, we do have that uh, PMI data, which will still headline the news flow out of China but that PCE number will also come into effect as well. Very quickly, though, this is what the U.S. markets then looked like as well. Yesterday, a losing day for Wall Street uh, last night then. A big, uh, bigger loss then for the S&P 500. Still sitting above that 5,000 mark, it seems to be the new normal somewhat there. Both the Dow and S&P shifting away from those uh, record levels. Interestingly enough, Alphabet then dropped to a four and a half percent. And this is after uh, Melius Research's analyst, Ben Reitz, uh, made note of how Alphabet's missteps in that AI realm that we've just been speaking to may make a case for it to be an unreliable source when it comes to artificial intelligence. So could there be a little bit of weakness then, as Steve, you've been saying then, that it is a cost until it becomes a profit here. So Alphabet dropping off 4.5%. The tech-heavy Nasdaq down a tenth of a percent there too. Very quickly, U.S. futures then as we head towards, of course, that PCE data then later on this week uh, for the next signs of the rate path. This is pretty much where we stand. The market looks to be headed just a little bit lower before the opening bell. Now, coming up on the show, French President Emmanuel Macron says he cannot uh, see, uh, or rather 
or rather cannot rule out sending Western troops to fight in Ukraine. We'll have more on his comments next. Plus, could Sheehan be swapping New York for London? The fast fashion giant is reportedly mulling the possibility of a UK IPO. We'll bring you the latest this hour. And stay tuned then for more from the Mobile World Conference then with Karen, who's speaking to Pekka Lundmark, the CEO of Nokia. That's coming up at 8.20 CET. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. U.S. President Joe Biden says Israel has agreed not to engage in, quote, activities during the month of Ramadan, which begins in mid-March, in order to secure the release of remaining hostages. Biden's comments came as he expressed optimism a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas can begin by next Monday as negotiations over a pause continue. French President Emmanuel Macron says sending Western troops to defend Ukraine has not been ruled out. This as the country dropped its opposition to purchasing artillery shells for Ukraine from non-EU countries using shared EU funding. Charlotte, um, I admire a more robust European foreign policy. I think it is needed given the preponderance and the weight that the US has within NATO. We've talked about this a lot already. But the idea of overtly sending, and I guess in this case he's talking about combat troops if they're defending Ukraine, from a NATO country to a non-NATO country, with the implications that brings, it's just not going to happen, is it? Well, that would be a huge escalation, that's for sure. But I guess from the European leaders, they want to be seen as ready to do whatever it takes. And that was, in a sense, the message from President Macron uh, yesterday. And he repeated that. They say, look, uh, the, it is impossible to the security and stability of Europe that Russia loses this war in Ukraine. Of course, in the context you were saying, this renewed state of urgency, the war entering its third year, the recent <coughs> setbacks that Ukraine has uh, suffered, the escalation, the Russian aggression, the risk of Trump returning to the White House, uh, that help from the U.S., a stall in Congress, etc., etc. So Europe wants to be seen that there is no doom and gloom and that they're still there to support Ukraine. So this meeting organized hastily in a few days. It's 20 European leaders uh, in Paris yesterday. And again, as you were saying, one of the key messages with President Macron saying that um, there is no consensus at the moment in sending troops on the ground, but that nothing should be excluded. Tout a été évoqué ce soir de manière Everything was discussed this evening in a very open and direct manner. There is no consensus today to officially, openly and with endorsement send troops on the ground. But in terms of dynamics, nothing should be ruled out. We will do everything necessary to ensure that Russia cannot win this war. 
Now, there was also mainly a lot of talks about sending more artillery and more ammunition to Ukraine. There's been this Czech initiative in the background, but buying ammunition from third countries. And France was opposed to this originally, saying, look, what Europe needs to do is to increase its own uh, defense production. Of course, they can't wrap up production fast enough. So now they are on board with this initiative with other 15 countries. The Netherlands, for example, yesterday, Mr. Rutte expected to be potentially the next head of NATO, saying that the Netherlands will pledge 100 million euros to this. So plans is expected to be drawn up to buy more ammunition for uh, Ukraine. And again, France has been criticized in the past for not doing as much as some other European countries. Of course, they haven't publicly uh, published uh, everything they have given to Ukraine. So it's not enough, certainly not as much as uh, Germany. So we don't have the official numbers. But we had 10 days ago, Mr. Zelensky in Paris, France pledging 3 billion euros of support for Ukraine on top of the 4 billion given so far. They were talking about more operational support as well. It's about also um, kind of core coordinating what countries are sending to Ukraine. So again, they want to show this support while as well at home, they're facing some tension of the back of that support for Ukraine. We know the farmers protests come a little bit in that context with the European elections uh, coming soon. So it's a tricky exercise for leaders like Emmanuel Macron to kind of do a lot of budget cuts. We know the budget and the deficit under pressure while giving more money and more support to Ukraine and also giving Ukraine the support they need while not uh, damaging the, some of their farmers, for example, at home. So it's a tricky exercise, but certainly when it comes to the message to Mr. Putin, uh, the, this strong message, in particular about the troops saying everything is on the table. Yeah, so definitely a tricky one, but the optics are just as important, I suppose, in this regard. Charlotte, thank you so much for that. The European Union will also reportedly aim to buy up half, up to half of its military equipment from within the bloc by 2035. That is according to a draft document seen by Bloomberg. Now, the majority of military purchases by the EU are currently made in third countries. However, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has highlighted weaknesses in this approach. The Commission is expected to present its new strategy in the next few weeks. And the Hungarian Parliament has approved Sweden's ascension to uh, NATO, clearing the final hurdle for the Nordic country to join the alliance. The vote passed resoundingly almost two years after Sweden's application ending months of negotiations with all member states now approving the ascension. Uh, Sylvia joining us for a little bit more on this one. Sylvia, I mean, first Finland, uh, now Sweden. It's ultimately the most uh, significant expansion uh, of NATO since the 1990s. Absolutely. Monday proved to be a historic day for Sweden. The country cleared their final hurdle in order to become a member of the Defense Alliance. One NATO official told me that now there's only a couple of paperwork to be done and then the accession ceremony is expected as early as Friday. So let's see what will happen for the rest of the week. But nonetheless, an important moment for Sweden, which, as you mentioned, applied to become a member of the Defense Alliance back in May 2022, jointly with Finland. Now, Finland became a member of NATO last April, but Sweden had to wait almost two years to clear this final hurdle. The question, one of the questions here is, why has it taken so long for Sweden to get this approval by all of the NATO member states? 
Well, there were two holdouts. We had Turkey and we had Hungary. Turkey's, they were, what Turkey wanted was really more action from Sweden when it came to the Kurdistan Workers' Party, which Ankara has raised terrorism concerns about. And the Turks were also looking for the approval of sales of F-16s from the United States. Now, when it comes to the reasons behind why Hungary took so long to approve Sweden's accession to NATO, the reasons there are a little bit more clear, but it's worth remembering that uh, Viktor Orban, the Prime Minister of Hungary, is the closest ally of President Putin in Europe. Now, I also want to show you what's next for the Defense Alliance, and recently we have heard from Jens Stoltenberg, the Secretary General of NATO, saying that it's not a question of if, but a question of when. And that was in reference to Ukraine joining the Defense Alliance. Now, we know from the member states that they do not want Ukraine to join the Defense Alliance for as long as this war with Ukraine continues. But one of the key events for us to watch is the upcoming Leader Summit of NATO that is due to take place in July in Washington, D.C. Will the member states give a little bit of something to Ukraine in the meantime as they prepare for that potential membership of NATO? Well, let's see what will happen there. But nonetheless, it could be the next phase for a potential NATO expansion, Steve. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.